Rhapsodize Audio presents O Yearning Heart Tracing Hope Through the Poetry of Edgar Allan Poe Performed by Bev Stevens By Bob Gonzalez By Dennis Daly By Jessa Mills By Janny Meisberger By Winston Tharp By Alan Wayman By Carol Box By Kate Barrett By Capricia Page history, man has possessed an ambivalent attitude toward hope. At times we love it, and at other times we utterly despise it. I cannot begin to think about hope without considering Anne Lamont's encouraging quote that states, Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. This quick summation focuses the idea that hope cannot exist where all is perfect. We must find ourselves in some less-than-desirable situation to find ourselves in need of hope. But in Lamont's view, if we work and strive for that which is right, a better state will appear, so long as we don't give up and despair. The antithesis of this idea is closer to Nietzsche's take on hope. He says, In reality, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs man's torments. Nietzsche gives in to the idea that essentially the future will be what it will be, and it makes no difference what we hope or do not hope. For example, a man who hopes that his deceased love will return to him will continue to live in a torment since the natural world tells us that it is not possible for her to return to him. While Lamont and Nietzsche may never be reconciled in their beliefs, people continue to hope, both for the possible and the impossible. As Aeschylus says, I know how men in exile feed on dreams of hope. And what are we all, if not men in exile, in one form or another? Perhaps that is even more true for our poet this evening, Edgar Allan Poe, a man who experienced a great deal of exile in both his personal and professional lives. I don't plan to go through an exhaustive biography with you, but remember this is a man whose father abandoned him, mother died, and was left to be raised by a foster family. Later, he accrued gambling debts, left college, and became estranged from that foster family. He enlisted in the military got purposefully court-martialed to leave West Point, pursued a myriad of careers, none for very long, and married his 13-year-old cousin who died only 11 years later. In the end, he was found on the street severely ill. While it was suspected that he may have died from complications of alcoholism, Poe was never coherent long enough to tell anyone what happened before he finally succumbed. Even this short skimming of his life is enough to see that Poe lived a life of exile, with the possible exception of his years with his wife. It is no wonder that a man so tossed around by fate would reflect a similarly ambivalent attitude toward hope in his poetry. 
In the poems, there are times the speaker appears to readily embrace hope. Other times, he wants to cast it away. And still other times where he yearns to have the desire to embrace hope, but is stubbornly stuck somewhere between the two extremes. Overall, it is a very human approach to the concept of hope, ever-changing with the moment, but always sincere and poignant. Of course, it is impossible to discuss Poe without pointing out the connection of beauty and death. We will try to make some short mentions of those themes along the way as well, especially since they tie in so well with this concept of hope. Up first, we will look at a poem that clearly defines the speaker's exile from the rest of the world. The speaker feels separate and apart in the poem alone, making the perfect poem to begin our journey through Poe's poetry. As you can imagine, there is little to no hope to be found here. The first two poems in our program will be repeated by different artists as the last two selections to see if our journey has affected your perception of Poe and two of his most iconic poems. And now, Alone by Edgar Allan Poe. Alone. From childhood hour I have not been as others were. I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from a common spring. From the same source I have not taken my sorrow. I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone. And all I loved, I loved alone. Then, in my childhood, in the dawn of a most stormy life, was drawn from every depth of good and ill the mystery which binds me still, from the torrent or the fountain, from the red cliff of the mountain, from the sun that round me rolled in its autumn tint of gold, from the lightning in the sky as it passed me flying by, from the thunder and the storm, and the cloud that took the form, when the rest of heaven was blue, of a demon in my view. Now we will take a look at The Bells, which takes us through an entire emotional journey in a very short period of time. The bells ringing in the poem go from silvery to mellow to brazen to iron and finally in the end are described as groaning and moaning. The Bells Hear the sledges with the bells, silver bells. What a world of merriment their melody foretells. How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in the icy air of night. While the stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seem to twinkle with a crystalline delight, keeping time, 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 in a sort of runic rhyme, to the tintinnabulation that so musically wells from the bells, 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 from the jingling and the tinkling of the bells. Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells. Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight. From the molten golden notes, and all in tune, what a liquid ditty floats to the turtle dove that listens while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from out the sounding cells, 
what a gush of euphony voluminously wells how it swells how it dwells on the future how it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells 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 of the bells 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 to the rhyming and the chiming of the bells hear the loud alarum bells brazen bells what a tale of terror now their turbulency tells in the startled ear of night how they scream out their affright too much horrified to speak they can only shriek shriek out of tune in a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire in a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire leaping higher 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 with a desperate desire and a resolute endeavour now now to sit or never by the side of the pale-faced moon oh the bells 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 what a tale their terror tells of despair how they clang and clash and roar what a horror they outpour on the bosom of the palpitating air yet the ear it fully knows by the twanging and the clanging how the danger ebbs and flows yet the ear distinctly tells in the jangling and the wrangling how the danger sinks and swells by the sinking or the swelling in the anger of the bells of the bells of the bells 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 in the clamour and the clangour of the bells hear the tolling of the bells iron bells what a world of solemn thought their monody compels in the silence of the night how we shiver with affright at the melancholy menace of their tone for every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan and the people ah the people they that dwell up in the steeple all alone who tolling 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 in that muffled monotone feel a glory in so rolling on the human heart a stone they are neither man nor woman they are neither brute nor human they are ghouls and their king it is who tolls and he rolls 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 a pain from the bells and his merry bosom swells with the pain of the bells and he dances and he yells keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the pain of the bells of the bells keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the throbbing of the bells of the bells 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 to the sobbing of the bells keeping time 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 as he knells 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 in a happy runic rhyme to the rolling of the bells of the bells 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 to the tolling of the bells of the bells 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells the next several poems will deal with women some real some fictional some we aren't so sure about being that historians are neither able to prove nor disprove her existence up first is annabel lee 
probably one of Poe's better-known poems, it tells the story of a girl who died, but the speaker still feels a deep connection to her that not even demons can dissever his soul from the soul of his love. Pretty powerful hope here. Annabel Lee It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived, whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child, in this kingdom by the sea, but we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that, long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabel Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above, nor the demons down under the sea, can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in the sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. In his first poem, To Helen, Poe addresses the mythical Helen of Troy, admiring her beauty from afar. Helen, thy beauty is to me like those Nicaean barks of yore, that gently, o'er a perfumed sea, the weary, way-worn wanderer bore to his own native shore. On desperate seas long wont to roam, thy hyacinth hair, thy classic face, thy naiad airs have brought me home to the glory that was Greece and the grandeur that was Rome. Lo, in yon brilliant window niche, how statue-like I see thee stand, the agate lamp within thy hand, ah, Psyche, from the regions which are holy land. In his second poem to Helen, Poe has a slightly more earthbound Helen in mind. Sarah Helen Whitman, a widow who liked to wear black and a coffin-shaped pendant around her neck, had captured the eye of Poe, and he wrote her this poem during their courtship, which, of course, ended badly and dramatically, the very day before their wedding, allegedly due to Poe's drunken outrages. I saw thee once, once only, years ago. I must not say how many, but not many. 
It was a July midnight, and from out a full-orbed moon, that, like thine own soul, soaring, sought a precipitate pathway up through heaven, there fell a silvery silken veil of light, with quietude and sultriness and slumber upon the upturned faces of a thousand roses that grew in an enchanted garden, where no wind dared to stir unless on tiptoe, fell on the upturned faces of these roses that gave out, in return for the love-light, their odorous souls in an ecstatic death fell on the upturned faces of these roses that smiled and died in this parterre, enchanted by thee and by the poetry of thy presence. Clad all in white, upon a violet bank I saw thee half reclining, while the moon fell on the upturned faces of the roses, and on thine own, Upturned, alas, in sorrow. Was it not fate that, on this July midnight, Was it not fate, whose name is also sorrow, That bade me pause before that garden gate, To breathe the incense of those slumbering roses? No footstep stirred, the hated world all slept, save only thee and me. O oh, heaven, O oh, God, how my heart beats in coupling those two words. Save only thee and me. I paused, I looked, and in an instant all things disappeared. Ah. Bear in mind this garden was enchanting. The pearly luster of the moon went out, The mossy banks and the meandering paths, The happy flowers and the repining trees, Were seen no more. The very roses' odours died In the arms of the adoring airs. Oh, all expired save thee, save less than thou, save only the divine light in thine eyes, save but the soul in thine uplifted eyes. I saw but them, they were the world to me, I saw but them, saw only them for hours, saw only them until the moon went down. What wild heart-histories seemed to lie enwritten upon those crystalline celestial spheres! How dark a woe, yet how sublime a hope! How silently serene a sea of pride! How daring an ambition, yet how deep! How fathomless a capacity for love! But now, at length, dear Diane sank from sight Into a western couch of thunder-cloud, And thou, a ghost, amid the entombing trees, 
didst glide away. Only thine eyes remained. They would not go. They never yet have gone. Lighting my lonely pathway home that night, they have not left me as my hopes have since. They follow me, they lead me through the years, they are my ministers, yet I their slave. Their office is to illumine and enkindle, my duty to be saved by their bright light, and purified in their electric fire, and sanctified in their Elysian fire. They fill my soul with beauty, which is hope, and are far up in heaven, the stars I kneel to in the sad, silent watches of my night. While even in the meridian glare of day I see them still, Two sweetly scintillant Venuses Unextinguished by the sun. In Oomaloom, we start to tread on the Maybe she's real, maybe she's not territory. No one is really sure if Oomaloom is a real person, or if she merely represents the idea of true love that has passed away. Either way, the poem tells the story of a man who goes on a stroll through the woods with his soul, who he names Sike. The two have a little discussion, and a disagreement, and ultimately decide to go on. But eventually they end up at the tomb of Ulalum, on the very anniversary of the night they buried her, which leaves them both pretty disturbed. This poem very directly connects the idea of beauty and death, not so much the idea of beauty leading to one's death, but more in the sense of all things beautiful die. Now, on the hope meter, this one ranks somewhere in the middle. The fact that the speaker has split himself in two signals to us that he is already struggling with himself over many issues. He can't even decide whether to go or stay when he's walking in the woods. Ulalum. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sere. The leaves, they were withering and sere. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Auber, in the misty mid-region of Weir. It was down by the dank tarn of Auber, in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Here once, through an alley titanic of Cyprus I roamed with my soul, of Cyprus with Psyche my soul. These were days when my heart was volcanic, as the scoriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that restlessly roll their sulphurous currents down Yarnek in the ultimate climes of the Pole, that groan as they roll down Mount Yarnek in the realms of the boreal Pole. Our talk had been serious and sober, but our thoughts they were palsied and sear, our memories were treacherous and sear, for we knew not the month was October, and we marked not the night of the year, ah, night of all nights in the year. We noted not the dim lake of Auber, though once we had journeyed down here. We remembered not the dank tarn of Auber, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. And now, as the night was senescent, and star-dials pointed to morn, 
as the star-dials hinted of morn, at the end of our path a liquescent and nebulous lustre was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn, a starter's bediamond crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, She is warmer than Diane. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks where the worm never dies, and has come past the stars of the lion, to point us the path to the skies, to the Lethean peace of the skies, come up in despite of the lion, to shine on us with her bright eyes, come up through the lair of the lion with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, uplifting her finger, said, Sadly this star I mistrust. Her pallor I strangely mistrust. Oh, hasten! Oh, let us not linger! Oh, fly! Let us fly, for we must! In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings till they trailed in the dust. In agony sobbed, letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust, till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, This is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its sibyllic splendour is beaming with hope and in beauty to-night. See, it flickers up the sky through the night. Ah, we safely may trust to its gleaming, and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Thus I pacified Psyche, and kissed her, and tempted her out of her gloom and conquered her scruples and gloom, and we passed to the end of the vista, but were stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalum, Ulalum, tis the vault of thy lost Ulalum. Then my heart it grew ashen and sober, as the leaves that were crispid and sere, as the leaves that were withering and sere. And I cried, It was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that I brought a dread burden down here, on this night of all nights in the year. Oh, what demon has tempted me here? Well, I know now this dim lake of Ober, this misty mid-region of Weir, well I know now this dank torn of Ober in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Said we then, the two then, Ah, can it have been that the woodlandish ghouls, the pitiful, the merciful ghouls, to bar up our way and to ban it from the secret that lies in these walls, from the thing that lies hidden in these walls, had drawn up the spectre of a planet from the limbo of lunary souls? The sinfully scintillant planet from the hell of the planetary souls. Now we are going to make a pretty hard shift from the beautiful dying and causing the speaker to have to split himself in two to survive to the very simple idea of a beautiful girl making the world a perfect and lovely place. In Eulalie, the speaker's world was horrible until she came along and made everything absolutely fabulous. That ranks pretty high on the hope meter. Eulalie I dwelt alone in a world of moan, and my soul was a stagnant tide. 
Till the fair and gentle Eulalie became my blushing bride. Till the yellow-haired young Eulalie became my smiling bride. And ah, less bright the stars of the night than the eyes of the radiant girl. And never a flake their luster can make of the vapour and golden pearl can vie with the sweet young Eulalie's most unregarded curl, can compare with the bright-eyed Eulalie's most humble and careless curl. Now doubt, now pain, come never again, for her soul gives me sigh for sigh, and all day long shines bright and strong as starty within the sky. And ever to it, dear Eulalie, upturns her matron eye. And ever to it, young Eulalie upturns her violet eye. Up next, we have the poem Lenore, which is a word most people probably instantly associate with Poe from its use in the poem The Raven. But other than that, we really don't know who she is. Some speculate that she embodies the ideal of Poe's deceased wife, but really, we can only guess. This poem, again, associates beauty with death, as we have another beautiful woman who lies dead before her lover, at a wake. And he considers that this wake should not be used to mourn the dead, but rather to celebrate them. In another unusual turn, this lover, unlike most lovers in Poe's poetry, contemplates the possibility of meeting her in the afterlife, which really bumps this one up on the hope meter. Lenore Ah, broken is the golden bowl, the spirit flown forever. Let the bell toll. A saintly soul glides down the Stygian river. And let the burial rite be read, the funeral song be sung. A dirge for the most lovely dead that ever died so young. And Guidevere, hast thou no tear? Weep now or never more. See, on yon drear and rigid bier, low lies thy love, Lenore. Yon air whose cheeks of pallid hue with tears are streaming wet, sees only, through their crocodile dew, a vacant coronet. False friends, ye loved her for her wealth and hated her for her pride. And when she fell in feeble health, ye blessed her that she died. How shall the ritual then be read? The requiem how be sung? For her most wronged of all the dead That ever died so young? Peccavimus, but rave not thus, And let the solemn song go up to God so mournfully That she may feel no wrong. The sweet Lenore hath gone before, with young hope at her side. And thou art wild for the dear child that should have been thy bride. For her, the fair and debonair that now so lowly lies, the life still there upon her hair, the death upon her eyes. Avant, 
Tonight my heart is light, no dirge will I upraise, but waft the angel on her flight with a paean of old days. Let no bell toll, lest her sweet soul amid its hallowed mirth should catch the note as it doth float up from the damned earth. To friends above, from fiends below, the indignant ghost is riven, from grief and moan to a gold throne beside the king of heaven. It only seemed appropriate to follow up Lenore with the raven, where the speaker is suffering the aftermath of Lenore's death, when he encounters a raven who keeps repeating the word, nevermore. At first, the poem's tone seems a bit tongue-in-cheek, but as the poem progresses, the speaker begins to reflect on his real inner demons as he deals with, or doesn't deal with, the loss of his love, which plunges our hope meter down to the nether regions. The Raven Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly, I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here for evermore and the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before so that now to still the beating of my heart i stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door this it is and nothing more presently my soul grew stronger Hesitating then no longer, Sir, said I, or Madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter. When with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance, matey, 
not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, Other friends have flown before, and tomorrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven, still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core this and more i sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press ah nevermore then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, 
By that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels named Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting, Get thee back into the tempest in the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Believe it or not, Poe was inspired by things other than death and the loss of love. In our next poem, Poe was fascinated by the late 16th century discovery of a star that he associated with a place that was located between heaven and hell, that was reserved for those that had been neither markedly good nor evil. In this poem, he tells the story of two lovers seeking an escape from their unpleasant circumstances to something a little bit better which is the very definition of hope. Al-Araf Part 1 Oh, nothing earthly save the ray thrown back from flowers of beauty's eye as from those gardens where the day springs from the gems of Cherkassi. Oh, nothing earthly save the thrill of melody in woodland rill or music of the passion-hearted Joy's voice so peacefully departed that, like the murmur in the shell, its echo dwelleth and will dwell. With nothing of the dross of ours, yet all the beauty, all the flowers that list our love and deck our bowers, adorn yon world afar, afar, the wandering star. T'was a sweet time for Nisarche, for there her world lay lolling on the golden air near four bright suns, a temporary rest, a garden spot in desert of the blest. Away, away, mid seas of rays that roll, Empyrean splendour o'er the unchained soul, the soul that scarce, the billows are so dense, can struggle to its destined eminence, to distant spheres, from time to time she rode, and late to ours, the favoured one of God. But now, the ruler of an anchored realm, she throws aside the sceptre, leaves the helm, and, amid incense and high spiritual hymns, laves in quadruple light her angel limbs. Now, happiest, loveliest in yon lovely earth, when sprang the idea of beauty into birth, falling in wreaths through many a startled star, like woman's hair mid pearls, until afar it lit on hills Archaean, and there dwelt. She looked into infinity, and knelt. 
rich clouds for canopies about her curled fit emblems of the model of her world seen but in beauty not impeding sight of other beauty glittering through the night a wreath that twined each starry form around and all the opaled air in colour bound all hurriedly she knelt upon a bed of flowers of lilies such as rear the head on the fair capo doicato and sprang so eagerly around about to hang upon the flying footsteps of deep pride of her who loved a mortal and so died the cephalica budding with young bees upreared its purple stem around her knees and a gemmy flower of trebizond misnamed inmate of highest stars where erst it shamed all other loveliness its honeyed dew the fabled nectar that the heathen knew deliriously sweet was dropped from heaven and fell on gardens of the unforgiven in trebizond and on a sunny flower so like its own above that to this hour it still remaineth torturing the bee with madness and unwonted reverie in heaven and all its environs the leaf and blossom of the fairy plant in grief disconsolate linger grief that hangs her head repenting follies that full long have fled heaving her white breast to the balmy air like guilty beauty chastened and more fair nightanthus too as sacred as the light she fears to perfume perfuming the night and clytia pondering between many a sun while pettish tears are down her petals run and that aspiring flower that sprang on earth and died ere scarce exalted into birth bursting its odorous heart in spirit to wing its way to heaven from garden of a king and valor's nerian lotus thither flown from struggling with the waters of the rhone and thy most lovely purple perfume zante isolodoro fior di levante and the nalumbo bud that floats for ever with indian cupid down the holy river fair flowers and fairy to whose care is given to bear the goddess song in odours up to heaven spirit that dwellest where in the deep sky the terrible and fair in beauty vie beyond the line of blue the boundary of the star which turneth at the view of thy barrier and thy bar of the barrier overgone by the comets who are cast from their pride and from their throne to be drudges till the last to be carriers of fire the red fire of their heart with speed that may not tire and with pain that shall not part who livest that we know in eternity we feel but the shadow of whose brow what spirit shall reveal though the beings whom thy nasachi thy messenger hath known have dreamed for thy infinity a model of their own thy will is done o god the star hath ridden high through many a tempest but she rode beneath thy burning eye and here in thought to thee in thought that can alone ascend thy empire and so be a partner of thy throne by winged fantasy my embassy is given till secrecy shall knowledge be in the environs of heaven she ceased and buried then her burning cheek abashed 
amid the lilies there, to seek a shelter from the fervour of his eye, for the stars trembled at the deity. She stirred not, breathed not, for a voice was there, how solemnly pervading the calm air, a sound of silence on the startled ear, which dreamy poets name the music of the sphere. Ours is a world of words, quiet we call silence, which is the merest word of all. Here nature speaks, and even ideal things flap shadowy sounds from visionary wings. But ah, not so, when thus, in realms on high, the eternal voice of God is passing by, and the red winds are withering in the sky. What though in worlds which sightless cycles run, linked to a little system, and one sun, where all my love is folly, and the crowds still think my terrors but the thunder-cloud, the storm, the earthquake, and the ocean wrath? Ah, will they cross me in my angrier path? What though in worlds which own a single sun, the sands of time grow dimmer as they run, yet thine is my resplendency, so given to bear my secrets through the upper heaven. Leave tenantless thy crystal home, and fly, with all thy train, athwart the moony sky, apart, like fireflies in Sicilian night, and wing to other worlds another light. Divulge the secrets of thy embassy to the proud orbs that twinkle, and so be to every heart a barrier and a ban, lest the stars totter in the guilt of man. Up rose the maiden in the yellow night, the single mooned eve, on earth we plight our faith to one love, and one moon adore, the birthplace of young beauty had no more, as sprang that yellow star from downy hours, up rose the maiden from her shrine of flowers, and bent o'er sheeny mountain and dim plain her way, but left not yet her Theresian reign. Part Two High on a mountain of enamelled head, such as the drowsy shepherd on his bed of giant pasturage, lying at his ease, raising his heavy eyelid, starts and sees, with many a muttered hope to be forgiven, what time the moon is quadrated in heaven, of rosy head that towering far away into the sunlight ether, caught the ray of sunken suns at eve, while the moon danced with the fair stranger light, Upreared upon such height arose a pile of gorgeous columns on the unburdened air, flashing from Parian marble that twin smile far down upon the wave that sparkled there, and nursled the young mountain in its lair. Of molten stars their pavement, such as fall through the ebon air, besilvering the pall of their own dissolution while they die, adorning then the dwellings of the sky. A dome, by linked light from heaven let down, sat gently upon these columns as a crown. A window of one circular diamond there looked out above into the purple air, and rays from God shot down that meteor chain, and hallowed all the beauty twice again. Save when, between the Empyrean and that ring, some eager spirit flapped his dusky wing. But on the pillars, seraph eyes have seen the dimness of this world, that greyish green that nature loves the best for beauty's grave, lurked in each cornice, 
round each architrave, and every sculptured cherub thereabout that from his marble dwelling ventured out seemed earthly in the shallow of his niche, Archaean statues in a world so rich. Freezes from Tadmor and Persepolis, from Balbec and the stilly clear abyss of beautiful Gomorrah. Oh, the wave is now upon thee, but too late to save. Sound loves to revel near a summer night. Witness the murmur of the grey twilight that stole upon the ear in Iraco, of many a wild star-gazer long ago, that stealeth ever on the ear of him who, musing, gazeth on the distance dim, and sees the darkness coming as a cloud. Is not its form, its voice, most palpable and loud? But what is this? It cometh, and it brings a music with it. Tis the rush of wings, a pause, and then a sweeping, falling strain, and the sache is in her halls again. From the wild energy of wanton haste her cheek was flushing, and her lips apart, and zone that clung around her gentle waist had burst beneath the heaving of her heart. Within the centre of that hall to breathe she paused and panted, Xanthi, all beneath, the fairy light that kissed her golden hair and longed to rest, yet could but sparkle there. Young flowers were whispering in melody to happy flowers that night, and tree to tree. Fountains were gushing music as they fell in many a starlit grove or moonlit dell. Yet silence came upon material things, fair flowers, bright waterfalls, and angel wings, and sound alone that from the spirit sprang bore burden to the charm the maiden sang. Neath bluebell or streamer or tufted wild spray that keeps from the dreamer the moonbeam away, bright beings that ponder with half-closing eyes on the stars which your wonder hath drawn from the skies, till they glance through the shade and come down to your brow, like eyes of the maiden who calls on you now. Arise from your dreaming in violet bowers to duty beseeming these star-litten hours, and shake from your tresses encumbered with dew the breath of those kisses that cumber them too. Oh, how without you, love, could angels be blessed? Those kisses of true love that lulled ye to rest. Up, shake from your wing each hindering thing, the dew of the night, it would weigh down your flight, and true love caresses, oh, leave them apart, they are light on the tresses, but hang on the heart. Lygia, Lygia, my beautiful one, whose harshest idea will to melody run, oh, is that thy will on the breezes to toss, or, capriciously still, like the lone albatross incumbent on night, as she on the air, to keep watch with delight on the harmony there? Lygia, whatever thy image may be, no magic shall sever thy music from thee. Thou hast bound many eyes in a dreamy sleep, but the strains still arise which thy vigilance keep. The sound of the rain which leaps down to the flower and dances again in the rhythm of the shower, 
the murmur that springs from the growing of grass, are the music of things, but are modelled, alas. Away, then, my dearest, oh, hie thee away to springs that lie clearest beneath the moon-ray, to lone lake that smiles in its dream of deep rest, at the many star-isles that endure its breast, where wild-flowers, creeping, have mingled their shade. On its margin is sleeping full many a maid. Some have left the cool glade and have slept with the bee. Arouse them, my maiden, on moorland and lea. Go, breathe on their slumber, all softly in ear, the musical number they slumbered to hear. For what can awaken an angel so soon, whose sleep hath been taken beneath the cold moon, as the spell which no slumber of witchery can test, the rhythmical number which lulled him to rest? Spirits in wing, and angels to the view, a thousand seraphs burst the Empyrean through, young dreams still hovering on their drowsy flight, seraphs in all but knowledge, the keen light that fell refracted through thy bounds afar. O death, from eye of God upon that star! Sweet was that error, sweeter still, that death. Sweet was that error, even with us the breath of science dims the mirror of our joy. To them twere the simoon, and would destroy, for what to them availeth it to know that truth is falsehood? or that bliss is woe. Sweet was their death. With them to die was rife with the last ecstasy of satiate life. Beyond that death no immortality, but sleep that pondereth, and is not to be. And there, O oh may my weary spirit dwell, apart from heaven's eternity, and yet how far from hell! What guilty spirit, in what shrubbery dim heard not the stirring summons of that hymn? But too, they fell, for heaven no grace imparts to those who hear not for their beating hearts. A maiden angel and her seraph lover, oh, where, and ye may seek the wide skies over, was love, the blind, near sober duty known. Unguided love hath fallen, mid tears of perfect moan. He was a goodly spirit, he who fell, a wanderer by mossy mantled well, a gazer on the lights that shine above, a dreamer in the moonbeam by his love. What wonder! For each star is eye-like there, and looks so sweetly down on beauty's hair, and they, and every mossy spring were holy to his love-haunted heart and melancholy. The night had found, to him a night of woe, upon a mountain crag, young Angelo. Beetling it bends athwart the solemn sky, and scowls on starry worlds that down beneath it lie. So sat he with his love, his dark eye bent with eagle gaze along the firmament, now turned it upon her, but ever then it trembled to one constant star again. Ianthe, dearest, see how dim that ray, her lovely tears to look so far away. She seemed not thus upon that autumn eve, I left her gorgeous halls, nor mourned to leave, that eve, that eve, 
I should remember well, that sun-ray dropped in Lemnos with a spell on the arabesque carving of a gilded hall wherein I sat, and on the draperied wall, and on my eyelids. Oh, the heavy light! How drowsily it weighed them into night! On flowers, before, and mist, and love they ran with Persian Sadi in his Gulistan. But oh, that light! I slumbered, Death the while stole o'er my senses in that lovely isle so softly that no single silken hair awoke that slept or knew that it was there. The last spot of earth's orb I trod upon was a proud temple called the Parthenon. More beauty clung around her columned wall than even thy glowing bosom beats withal. And when old time my wing did disenthrall, Thence sprang I, as the eagle from his tower, And years I left behind me in an hour. What time upon her airy bounds I hung, When half the garden of her globe was flung, Unrolling as a chart unto my view, Tenantless cities of the desert too. Ianthe, beauty crowded on me then, And half I wished to be again of men my Angelo, and why of them to be? A brighter dwelling place is here for thee, and greener fields than in yon world above, a woman's loveliness, and passionate love. But list, I thee, when the air so soft failed, as my pennoned spirit leapt aloft, perhaps my brain grew dizzy, but the world I left so late was into chaos hurled, sprang from her station on the winds apart, and rolled, aflame, the fiery heaven athwart. Methought, my sweet one, then I ceased to soar and fell, not swiftly as I rose before, but with a downward tremulous motion through light brazen rays, this golden star unto. Nor long the measure of my falling hours, for nearer of all stars was thine to ours. Dread star, that came amid a night of mirth, A red dedalion on the timid earth. We came unto thy earth, but not to us Be given our lady's bidding to discuss. We came, my love, around, above, below, Gay firefly of the night, we come and go, Nor ask a reason, save the angel nod She grants to us, as granted by her God. But Angelo, than thine great time unfurled, never his fairy wing or fairier world. Dim was its little disk, and angel eyes alone could see the phantom in the skies, when first Al-Araf knew her course to be headlong thitherward o'er the starry sea. But when its glory swelled upon the sky, as glowing beauties bust beneath man's eye, we paused before the heritage of men, and thy star trembled, as doth beauty then. Thus in discourse the lovers wiled away the night that waned and waned, and brought no day. They fell, for heaven to them no hope imparts, who hear not for the beating of their hearts. This is the end of Part 1 of O Yearning Heart. Please join us for Part 2.